Section 9 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eleanor Sakamoto. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Poet and Gentleman. I sat with Doris, beloved maiden. Her lap was laden with wreathed flowers. I sat and wooed her through sunlight reeling and shadows stealing for hours and hours rose the sun over an idyllic day the white clouds floated softly over the summer blue the poppies blazed in scarlet splendor through the grass the bearded barley stood in sheaves and through the meadows of brackenside that prosperous farmer mark brace led his men to their work earl moray whose mother looked on posy as the macadamizing of the road to ruin and desired nothing better for her son than the safe estate and healthful, honest life of a farmer, had come to take a lesson in stacking corn. It is true that farm work was not especially attractive to Earl the poet, but pleasing his mother was attractive to Earl the son, the friendship of honest Mark was attractive to Earl the man, and Earl had common sense to know that every man is better off knowing how to win his bread from the field. Therefore came Earl to his lesson. "'My sister has come,' said Maddie, meeting him with a boding heart. "'She has grown more lovely than ever in these four years. "'You will write poems about her when you see her. "'Her face is a poem. "'Her voice and laugh are poems.' "'And where is the phoenix of girls?' demanded Earl. "'Down there, under the great elm, watching the reapers. "'I will introduce you to her,' said Maddie, "'who thought this fatal introduction should be well over with. "'The sooner the better.' Perhaps Doris was in a less impish mood today. Frank Maddie did not dream how Doris had meditated all the morning on the new situation, and had dressed for conquest. In rustic surroundings she would play the rural queen. Her dress was a simple print, a white ground with little green sprays of maidenhair traced on it. At her neck a knot of pale green, through which was carelessly drawn a flower. In her gleaming hair a cluster of hop blossoms. Her wide straw hat at her feet was trimmed with a wreath of hop vine. Over her shoulders fell her wonderful hair. She held a book in her lap. One white hand rested on the page, the other brushed back a truant curl, and she lifted her lovely eyes in innocent, pleased expectation as Maddie and Earl drew near. The heart of Earl Moray stood still with surprise. Then it leaped as if it would break its bounds, and a flood of passionate admiration fired his whole being. Oh, how divine a thing she was, this naiad in the meadowland! All poetry should wait as handmaid at her feet. Why was one born to sing unless to sing? Those shining eyes, those dimpling smiles, that flush of dawn upon her cheeks, well becoming the young morning of her maiden life. O oh, daughter of the gods of Hellas! Oh, being fit to startle and surprise! Looking at her, this boy-poet, whose soul had until now only stirred in its sleep, and murmured in its dreams, awoke to full and perfect life. Maddie looked into his flushing face, his kindling eyes, and saw that words, if she had dared to utter them, would now be fruitless to warn him of Doris. She could only in her secret soul hope that Doris was less cruel than she had said, and so send up in silence to the ear of heaven that prayer. God save Earl Moray. Earl looked at her. Maddie, what is on your mind? Do you want to say something to me? No, 
Yes, only that you must remember that my sister is only a child and takes nothing seriously. You will not mind any nonsense that she says. Surely she will speak as she looks, like an angel. They drew near the elm. With what consummate art were the violet eyes drawn down from contemplation of their native skies to comprehension of earth's lower things. With what sudden start at the abandon of her own position on the grass did Doris greet Maddie and the gentleman poet? She saw the flush on his cheek, the ardent flame lighting his dark eyes. She said to herself, I shall have no trouble here. He is at my feet already. Thank fortune the man is handsome, and what an air he has. I shall not waste time on him as it would be wasted on a clodhopper. He will be good practice for better times. Ah, she said, as Earl asked permission to sit on the grass at her feet. I don't know that you belong there. Are you a worker or an idler? Mattie is a worker. If you are industrious and good, you must go with her or my father. I am an idler. If you are naughty and idle, you belong with me. I am of still a third class. I am a dreamer. Here let me sit and dream of heaven. Mattie turned away fearful and sick of heart. The mischief was done. Dreaming is even better than idling, said Doris. And here is a real land of dreams. See how the poppies bend, sleepy with sunshine. The sunshine is a flood of refined gold. The bees fly slowly, drunk with perfume. The butterflies drift up and down like beautiful, happy, aimless thoughts. Let us dream and live to be happy. One could not do better, cried Earl. Here shall be our lotus land, and you are a fit genius for the place, Miss Brace. Now at the very beginning I must make a treaty with you. Are you coming here often? I hope so. Then, unless I am to hate you on the spot, you must not call me Miss Brace. I detest the name. If there is one name above another that I hate, it is that name Brace. It is so common, so mean a wretched monosyllable. But you would grace any name, cried Earl. I don't mean to grace that very long, exclaimed Doris. Earl opened his eyes in uncontrollable amazement. You don't know what it is to suffer from a wretched, short, commonplace name. Look at me, and consider that I am called, above all things, Doris Brace. Horrors! Now your name is fairly good. Earl Moray. There is a savor of gentility, of blood, of breeding about that. You can venture to rise with such a name. I can only rise by dropping mine, and that I mean to do. Earl laughed. This was, after all, the pretty, captious nonsense of a little child. But Doris is a sweet name. It fits this sweet, home-like landscape. Doris, the lovely shepherdess, has been sung and painted for centuries. But I have no genius for woods or fields, and I am afraid of sheep. However, Miss Doris is better than Miss Brace. She reached for a poppy growing in the grass, and the book fell from her knee. Earl picked it up and saw what it was. This, he exclaimed in genuine consternation. Now Doris absolutely lacked the moral sense that would make her ashamed of the book, or revolt at anything she found therein. But she had native wit and she saw that she was on the point of instantly losing caste with Earl Moray on account of this literature. Eh, what is it? 
she said with enchanting simplicity. I bought it on the train late yesterday, and since I came out here I have been too happy to read it. Isn't it a nice book? I should say not, said Earl. How do you know unless you have read it? I know the author's reputation, and then the title. Dear me, and so I must not read it, and my one and sixpence gone. Whenever I try to do particularly right, I do wrong. Unlucky, isn't it? Now the last word my French teacher said to me was, By all means keep up your French. You have such a beautiful accent. Earl looked relieved. Here was an explanation of exquisite simplicity. There was no spot on this sweet, stainless lily. Mattie came back. Doris, mother thinks you had better unpack your trunk. Your dresses will be rumpled lying in it so long. You unpack it like a deer. I shall ruin my things taking them out, and then I can't go in. It is so lovely out of doors. Did you not put the things in to begin with? asked Mattie. No, dear, one of the girls did. The girls loved to wait on me, Mattie. This with sweet reproach. But mother thinks you are keeping Earl from work. Go away, Earl, said Doris, giving him a dainty little push. If you stay idle here, I am to be called in and set to work. After that stuffy old school this four years, I cannot stay indoors. Go, Mattie, and tell mother, if she insists on my coming in, I shall appeal at once to my fairy godmother to turn me into a butterfly. Mattie walked slowly away. That's all right, said Doris, with satisfaction. They all end by letting me have my own way. And how does that work? Well, don't you suppose it is always a very nice way? It must be indeed, said Earl heartily. He thought to himself that so charming a form must shrine only the tenderest of hearts, the sweetest of souls, and her way must always be a good way. The girl was infinitely more lovely than one could look for in the child of Mark and Patty Brace, the sister of gentle Mattie. But being the child of Mark and Patty, and sister of Mattie, she must be a sharer in their goodness, that sterling honesty, that generous unselfishness that made these three everywhere beloved and respected, patterns of domestic and neighborly virtues. Thus thinking, Earl sunned himself in the radiance of her smiles. End of section 9